My name is Jared. And my name is Elle. And you're listening to The New Leaf Project. We focus on this podcast on the stories of starters and planters. And Elle, our buddy Rohati there in Calgary, has brought us a story today. So tell me a little bit about this story. What should we be paying attention to? Sure. Yeah, big thanks to Rahati out in Calgary for bringing us this story. Um, He interviewed a gentleman named Evan Paul Spencer. And so Evan was a church planter. He was actually a part of our um, bivocational research project. Um, and he, yeah, that's right. He, sorry to interrupt, but I remember that day very, very well. He, uh, he came out on a stormy, stormy Calgary Saturday. <laughs> I drove from Saskatoon with my family to be part of that learning party. It's usually a six hour drive. It took us about nine hours. It was brutal. And I'm thankful for everyone that showed up that day because it was a mess on <laughs> Calgary streets. And Evan was there. Really good guy. Got to know him and I really like him. Yeah. So he he shares his story essentially from how he got involved in ministry, um, being a a youth pastor, and then how he kind of caught a vision for mission and um, tried a church plant in a very uh, suburban area suburbia really uh, in Calgary and essentially shares the story of how they started and what happened and what he's doing now. And so, you know what, uh, the church plant didn't work out long term. And I think one of the things we've committed to doing here on the new leaf podcast or project, whatever this thing is called, the new leaf, the new leaf project, I call it the podcast because it's a podcast, but, (laughs) um, and also during our learning parties and really through everything we do is we're committed to sharing stories of things that weren't quote unquote successful. We don't just want to share stories of, of things that, you know, are uh, made it all the way. There was Mm -hmm. this, this church plant lasted for a number of years. It's no longer happening, but good things came from it and good community work came from it. And so we wanted to highlight that and also some of the good stuff that Evan's up to now in his neighborhood, because he certainly hasn't given up neighborhood work. Something I say all the time for church planters is if you can't fail, you can't learn. And, and that's something that the the Canadian church really has to get, uh, get straight in our minds. Failure uh, is not a dirty word. It's not the F word. Uh, it's a part of how we learn. And uh, I think what's great about sharing stories just like this is is listening to somebody make sense of what they learned. Now, the story isn't completed. You'll hear that um, as the episode unfolds. Uh, and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about what you and I uh, learned by listening. All right. So give it a listen. This is Rohati and Evan. Welcome, friends, to another edition. I'm Rohati, and we are in South Calgary right now um, at a new library. The, all this infrastructure is coming up in the city, which is neat. I've never been in this in this library. It's not that new, actually. It's probably... It's been around a while. Yeah. Quarry Park. In Quarry Park. They're going to bring a train through here, too. So I am with a special guest, Evan Spencer... Welcome, Evan. Thank you, Rohani. Thank you for having me. Evan, <laughs> I brought you on because uh, we were just talking about this off air. What uh, What are your titles? What are your titles? I asked, and, and if we had to wrap it up in a bow, it would be church planter, youth pastor, ministry person, neighborhood person, 
what else am I missing in that mix? Truck driver? I, I did drive truck, yeah. Yeah. That's my still my fallback. And some of those one. all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would probably I like to identify with something like community organizer. Seems to fit all of those things, the stuff in the neighborhood and then also the ministry stuff as well. You were doing community, neighborhood, neighborhood parish, um, what, what people would call it by different names, but you are trying to live out kingdom presence yes. in the neighborhood that you live in. Yes, very much so. But that's the hope. We're getting too far ahead of ourselves because what we want to do in this episode is track your journey as a youth pastor and to someone who was drawn into church planting and working through some of the discontent that was going on in your ministry, uh, working through a launch and move into a neighborhood and then the successful launch and things were moving and then things started to get hard and then the successful failure <laughs> uh, to what it I is like now. I like that. It's a su- successful failure. Yeah. And I then like that. the yeah. bivocational reality that you have embodied today. So those are three different pieces and we want to hit on them all. Hear your story because I think there are people around this country who are facing, doing, thinking about the same stuff that you have gone through and we can learn from you. Excellent. Let's do it. So let's begin and talk about, let's, let's go back, way back, way back, back into time <laughs> and talk about youth ministry. So you, you were a youth pastor for how long? Uh, five years. But that's I it. I thought maybe, it was like 25 years. Did yeah, it no. feel like 25 years? Uh, yep. There were, there were times where it felt much longer than that for sure. So why did you start in youth ministry? I grew up in the church, and youth ministry was a lot of fun. Uh, there's many times when I look back on my life, I just feel very grateful for the peer group that I had and the, the things that were invested into me. And the youth group, for sure, was kind of the pinnacle of that. And uh, lots of great people. I had leaders that invested in my life, made a real impact. And, and I got to do really neat things like organize community ball hockey tournaments and do a variety of different things. And I, I was always, I loved bringing people together. I loved having fun. And I thought, you know, I wanted to be a gym teacher was one of the things on the map. And then uh, when the grades didn't quite pan out for kinesiology, uh, uh, you know, youth, youth ministry was, was there. Uh, but, but it was a little bit, there was a little bit more than that. I, my youth pastor pulled me aside and, and kind of said, hey, Evan, I think potentially of the guys in youth group, you, you might have a, I see a heart in you that could, could really embrace a call to ministry. Uh, so he called and planted the seed, and, and that led to, to that. Journey. So did you do Bible college or anything like that? Or? Yeah, I, uh, I did a four-year degree in eight years, pulled a huge Jonah right in the middle, and uh, ran up to the oil patch. Oh, okay. Yeah, and did that for a little while. That's where I got my class one. And, oh, okay. And then came back and, and finished up. Yeah, yeah. And so when you finished that, that's when you jumped into youth? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So I, f- I found early on a position with my home church where I grew up. You grew up in that church? Yeah, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. So youth pastor, that uh, five years you said? Yeah, correct. Okay, something started to shift towards the end of that. Something was shifting maybe in the church, but mostly in you, would you say? Yeah, for sure. What, what was going on? Uh... 
yeah, I'd like to say it was wholly discontent, but for sure at times it was just straight up discontent. But there, for sure, there was a lot of real meaningful ministry that I got to do in those times. But ultimately, I really f- started to feel like I was enabling a system that needed to change. Uh, I, I was longing to see growth in the lives of these students and not seeing it is hard. I think, I mean, that's a pastoral thing just in general. You always want more for that person than, than what they want for themselves. But I, yeah, I really started to look at how things were structured, the ecclesiology, and became discontent uh, about that in particular. Um, I was starting to to read some of the new monastic material that's out there and um, other forms. Uh, I mean, even somebody like David Platt and his radical book uh, spurred some of that on for me. I just I started to dream a bit of a different dream. Different dream than what? Well, I, I mean, earlier on when I got involved in ministry, for sure the creating a safe place for youth and, you know, making those incremental uh, investments in the life of a student was what drew me into it because I saw its impact on my life. And I will never, I, I never look back on those five years and go, that was worth, was worthless. It was, it was great. I, I feel, I feel very honored to have been able to make uh, those incremental investments in the lives of students. But I definitely started to long for a more seismic shift and felt that a change of ecclesiology and expectations and what we celebrate could really accelerate the growth that I was longing to see in my life as well and in the lives of the students. Give me one example of what that shift in ecclesiology would pragmatically look like. Sure, yeah. So for us, uh, in those early days in the youth ministry, I just longed to get us outside of serving ourselves and creating great things for ourselves. I mean, always we had this, this underlying, we're going to bring a friend and the friend is going to have a great time and, you know, ministry will happen from that point. But I, I long to see us activated as a youth ministry outside the four walls of the church. So we did some various things. Like one of the initiatives we ran was uh, a mission trip in the city. So we, we didn't go away that year. We set up tents on the church property and I had, heard about something similar from a good friend of mine that was ministering at Center Street. And we kind of built it off of that and then off of my past missions experiences, kind of carbon copied a bunch of the best parts. But then instead of running day camps for kids in Mexico, we were cleaning graffiti off of the local park and building a shed for the community garden, for the community association and doing various things, connecting the students to mission in the everyday in their city. How did that go? Was that well received? Yeah, it was generally well received. Uh, it, it was exciting and definitely got some of the good fo- positive feedback that I was after. But ultimately, I, I, if anything, that was like my gateway drug. Oh, right. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I mission as a drug. Yeah. Like mission just became something that was so satisfying, soul satisfying um, activating and putting my faith in. And I have, I've subsequently learned that that's one of my main pathways to that. I personally connect with my savior is through that, that activist role. Um, so that's not everyone. And I thought it should be everyone for a long time. Ah, I see. I, and I, I tried for a short season to, to really change things. Uh, after reading some, some good thought work on this, uh, I tried to 
do a state of the youth ministry address and talk to the parents about moving away from a kind of a peer peer oriented model and back back to that parent intergenerational model (laughs) of ministry and then also talked about moving moving the the pendulum a little bit away from the attractional model to a more missional model uh, and yeah. and that caused a yeah a sure. little bit of a furore yeah. yeah so your state of the union was probably your last address <laughs> yeah and for, i think i lost some of my audience for sure what's that new direction let's let's shift gears and talk about that yeah i the new horizon for me was absolutely learning how to integrate uh, my faith in a meaningful way outside of Sundays and, and events and, and when I was on the church grounds. So I, I started in that season, um, and this is interesting, it wasn't folks from within inside the church necessarily, it was neighbors I was encountering uh, on my street that were starting to show me a way of living together and exploring possibilities and integrating faith and value systems uh, amongst the everyday that really started to captivate me. So I would have, during that season, joined a, a condo board for the first time and seen the highs and the lows of that. Um, started to neighbor in ways that uh, I just found so compelling. But often I wasn't the instigator. I was being invited yeah. into neighboring opportunities and witnessing the kinds of conversations that happen and just feeling, boy, my time, I would way rather be engaged in this conversation about life and and the reason why we make the choices that we make. I'd way rather have this conversation than teach the basics again of of youth ministry yeah. to to a classroom, cool. right? Uh-oh. So yeah. um yeah. So when does that shift into this crazy idea that maybe you're going to church plant? I mean, we fell into that uh I won't bore the details but the highlights were my my wife's uh, faith uh, background was that her church was looking to start some new sites of their their church, and because of the relational collateral she had in that movement, um, we were firmly on their radar as options, uh, and then and then we were gifted an, a sandbox to play in. We were gifted resources. We were gifted a team. Um, and we were given an opportunity uh, to innovate. Uh, like these were, this was this was language that they were using, uh, language of um, a, an innovation engine to go explore on the frontier and innovate on the frontier. And it was a really empowering season of my life. I, as we were preparing to to plant this church, uh, this site ministry of an existing congregation, they gave us time as well. So ended up being a bit of a sabbatical year. So I started to read deeply in things that I hadn't read before and, and form these feelings that I had uh, deep down into language with people that I trusted and people that I was going to be shortly um, embarking on this, this journey with. A hugely formational period of my life. And that's along that, that way is when I would have uh, started to interact with uh, the thought work of people like the Parish Collective and and other movements that were uh, forming church planners and ministry types to a more uh, place-focused, slow, faithful presence 
uh, and, and build my imagination in that direction. So you were full time then, um, supported by yeah. the church. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Which, which quite a lot of, I would say most of conventional church planting at least has the, uh, the support of ascending church and it's usually full support. Um, do you think you would have lasted longer if it was half support? If you were bivocational hmm. from the start? Yeah, I, th- I think potentially it would have shifted expectations a bit, uh, for us. Wasn't an option at the uh, time or are you even talking about that? Yeah, not so much right off the hop. It certainly grew, grew as an op- option, especially in my mind and, and in the minds of a few others as time wore on. Like one of the things that very quickly I was staring at as we, we headed to the neighborhood and I began to live out and test and, li- and enjoy the sandbox that they had given us in our new neighborhood, our new parish, was, was recognizing that my value that I added as a leader became truncated by just pragmatics when I was no longer needed to organize as many functions, when I was no longer needed to set direction, when I was no longer needed to exercise ministry strategy, rather I was just a sojourner with these individuals in the neighborhood responding to the mission field, I started to feel adrift and, and like I was mis misappropriating the church funds and wondering if I should be in this role full time. So I ended up spending a lot of my uh, extra time that I found uh, having on my hands reading again and studying, which was a a gift for sure. But then the other part, and I increased as time went on, I started to invest that time and energy into a volunteer uh, committee that exists in our neighborhood. That's uh, really important that you mentioned that that you are operating as a minister in a different context and you're wondering to yourself, well, if I'm pulling in full salary, am I really, or someone's going to ask you for sure, what are you doing with that time? That's inevitable. Mm -hmm. Um, We need different ways to measure those first movers. And I remember someone telling me that, well, the reason why you're getting paid is because you are that first mover. You are going first. Others will come after you, but you are plowing the way forward and that's part hazard pay right. in many respects. But hmm. uh, we feel as though we need to justify, that's an old paradigm thinking again, justify our salaries with a Sunday morning service and and the strategies and like all right. the stuff you're, yeah. you were telling us about. Uh, eventually you guys moved into the neighborhood and you also went with a bunch of people as well who moved and yeah. bought homes yeah. in the neighborhood, some on the same street yeah, as well. Correct. So uh, give us just a quick sell on your neighborhood, which is way in the, in the south. I say, wait, well, it is. It is. Southeast yeah. uh, suburb of Calgary, but it's, but it's a unique piece. Tell us about it. Um, yeah, so the, the, the call to action that uh, my wife and I and, and the others, the early adopters, uh, were, were making was to come come live on mission. Uh, let's, let's all purpose to make this very, this very important piece of our lives, which is where you live, the house in which you dwell, um, a connected thing to our, our calling as Christians. So we, we dream together of shared mission in particular, 
So that led to four families satelliting down on one street. There was some pushback on, you know, why don't you spread out, maximize uh, your reach who, within the neighborhood. Back? Oh, just the people moving in. No established leadership, and okay. yeah, wondering about the wisdom of that decision. And ultimately, we, I mean, that the street that I live on is is magical, um, and partly because we're sharing the mission, um, or a lot because we're sharing the mission. We're we know the same people, and we're loving the same people, and we're a part of the lives of the same people. And because we all carry Jesus with us, that means all these other folks on the street um, are interacting with an incarnate Jesus on a very regular basis. And, and I just can't help but wonder how that would shift and change ecclesiology in the future. If that became just a, a predominant way we view a street and a neighborhood mm. is as a mission field and that um, not that we have to be strategic about it, but that we that we be intentional about uh, connecting and being purposeful about uh, recognizing how we outlay our time, energy, talents and resources. If we do that together as Christ followers in a location, uh, just how powerful that can be and how quickly that makes tangible noticeable differences to the fabric of a community that just blows my mind i just can't get that's why i'm doing the stuff that i'm doing now so you started to gather it took what six months or a year to get that core team together and move in what was that time frame yeah it would have taken about a year uh to get everyone together and And four families uh, yeah, so it started with four families, and then ultimately seven moved into moved, the, in. moved into the neighborhood. So wow. four on one street, and then three others elsewhere in the neighborhood. A good chunk of them were just uh, connections that my wife and I had. Uh, so there was right next door to us is a brother and sister-in-law, and some of their friends live on the same street with us. And somebody that my wife grew up with on the same street when she was young uh, moved moved with us. They all moved. Nor are they all Christians. Uh, yes, yeah. So they came from different churches, uh, different backgrounds, mm-hmm. uh, different expectations. Yeah, and, yeah. But they all they all came. They all came. Which is they all responded to the mission call. Th- that is wild. Yeah. Four is crazy, and seven is outlandish. Yeah. For people to move in, uproot, and move. It's a Holy Spirit thing. It must be. It must be. So, okay. So you started to gather. One year in, you're meeting. You are a church. Would you call yourselves a church then? Yeah. 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 We would have called ourselves a church from fairly early on. Yeah. And then you started to gather in some fashion. What, yeah. what did gathering look like for you? Uh, we tried to kind of amplify um, one of the early phrases was like living on top of each other. So what, what we wanted to do is. Did to, you think that through? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's okay. I like it. We're, we're, we wanted to make sure that that communal life together was an aspect that we leaned into. So when we gathered, we did storytelling a lot. We talked about uh, where we saw Jesus uh, at work uh, in our lives and on our streets. So oftentimes our, our worship gathering was myself or somebody giving a, a little bit of a primer, you know, 20 minutes at max kind of deal. Um, little sermonette kind of thing, generally geared towards our lives together. If we, you're definitely talking, we were sitting in a circle, so we're talking to 
specific people and sitting in that circle. And uh, then at the end, we would debrief or have con- small group conversations or prayer. Uh, and then we had some of our own liturgy. We gathered around a wooden cross and uh, did our, our communion weekly. And then also we had a benediction that we used quite often. We had some of these liturgical pieces. And then, of course, we had our small groups, which we named neighbor groups, and started to get involved in the neighborhood. But Sundays for us was always kind of like a bringing the family back together. One of the benefits of being attached to uh, sending organization is we had a little bit of uh, budget money to, to outlay. And so one of the things that we spent on in those early days was a, a location, a venue to meet. We, we started in homes, but of course that becomes taxing for the host after a while, especially once you get to a certain number. So we, we began meeting in our community hall and that worked really well for us. And it also allowed us to extend a little bit more of a, an intentional invitation to others that might wanna join us on this journey. But I, I think when I look back, uh, certainly one of the things I would do differently is extend a more intentional invitation to those and make it simpler, use simpler language in terms of what it was we were calling people to. I, it was very difficult to onboard new new folks. And because we were living so close, uh, just relationally and proximi- in proximity, uh, we were enmeshed in each other's lives. So somebody coming into that from the outside very quickly felt like they were on the outside uh, and, and we would have to, we had to work quite hard to, to bring people into that. Into the, the church community. Yeah. The relationships there. So you were trying to, when you say onboarding or drawing people, was that to any of the community events or was that to the Sunday uh, worship? I mean, ultimately it was to life together on mission. That was yeah. kind of so what So it could we, have been anywhere. Yeah. 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 So tell me what were the key places where you were finding success uh, and deeper with relationship with those in the community but not in your uh, church community? Right. Uh, What worked? Yeah, that ended up being different for every person, Mm -hmm. um, which is beautiful and also really hard to... Sure, yeah. I mean, we had... We have individuals amongst us that are now um, very involved, a good portion of our group in a community gardening initiative, uh, which is amazing and brings neighbors and people together. Uh, there's a fellow in our group that runs a games night um, where they play board games and uh, very quickly on, he had been doing this for years ahead of, ahead of this and uh, neighbors began participating as they found out about it and he extended invitations. Uh, we had... Uh, folks on our street that just responded well to us relationally through block parties and fire pits and these kinds of things. And we just started doing life together. And, uh, and ultimately, some of those came to be part of our family. Uh, which So that was, when we look back, it's, um, a, success. it's a success. Like, it, yeah, it was, it was time well invested. Uh, those are lifelong changes on us and, and in the lives of those people. And, and they are still, we still are with them. You have a good thing going in terms of connecting with neighborhood. People have moved in, but the church community is looking for something. Yeah. Yeah, we, as life together became deeper and we, we started to learn 
the preferences of each other, uh, it became evident more and more that um, this wasn't working for everyone. Uh, there, was, there was parts of it that really connected with most people, uh, and then there was other parts that people were enduring to get to something else, or yeah. it, was, they've, it was a part of, yeah, we will participate, but ultimately I have an idea of what we will look like down the road or I'm and then and then those that gave up things that they love for example large group worship uh, mm. and no no longer could participate in that on a weekly basis unless they made a trip out of the neighborhood to go find it uh, those those things became more and more highlighted and yeah and then our theological differences became exposed mm. and our mm. our our personality quirks yeah. started to wound each other. Yeah. And, Were you, you know, surprised? Well, I knew people had warned me that deep community life was going to be messy. And I knew, so I went into, I didn't go into it blind to that, but I, I certainly was surprised at, yeah, how deep those wounds can go and, and how, how much they end up, if not dealt with, how much they end up directing the future of the community. Like I, I, I would, give many things to go back and do certain key parts of this journey over again. Yeah. And I think the interpersonal conflict um, and managing that and mm -hmm. managing those expectations and giving a place for our community to express them and find common ground, um, we needed more of that, uh, more, more and work. better yeah, more and like Holy Spirit anointed times of doing that together. More ironically strategic time to figure out what, to, to clarify what those expectations were. Yeah. By, and we, we started, started flat leadership, ran flat leadership throughout, throughout it. And, and that made it very difficult to get to consensus on anything quickly. Uh, so I think there was also a large portion of our community that was just burnt out from the conversation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting take on conversation. Let's talk about your time thinking, okay, this might be the end. I'll step down. Someone else can come in and lead this thing. That was a thought, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, day one, I tried to give it away okay. <laughs> to somebody. Smart man. Yeah. That's good I, leadership. I, I yeah. tried to give it to somebody else right away, but yeah. So yeah, so I carried that the whole way through, um, but it was probably in the middle that I went, uh, I think I'm, I'm done with any sort of a formal, I don't want to formally lead this anymore. I want to be a, I want to be a vibrant part of it. As we, our relationship with the organization that planted us began to change, we, we started on a conversation of where, where do we go now? And I think that's where kind of the differences became the most pronounced because mm -hmm. people dreamed differently about how that would all shake out. So ultimately, I'd like to think, and I know I didn't, I have plenty of, to carry in, in all of this. I'd like to think I tried to carry the hopes and dreams and expectations of as many people as possible and, and cr create a path forward that as many yeah. people would, as possible would feel comfortable with. And, and then we voted, and they didn't vote on <laughs> that on thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... I tried. I, I, I really wanted, I had a dream. I thought it, I thought it was good. And, and, but now where we are, I'm quite happy as well. So now let's go back to you. The community has shifted. Uh, they don't 
in many respects, it doesn't exist, or at least it doesn't require your leadership anymore. So you are embedded in the neighborhood, but you need a job. Yeah. You got to pay the bills. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of parish church jobs in new neighborhoods or period, I should mm-hmm. say. So you started to look at new ways, uh, looking at the new economy, uh, to use that term, and also new ways of being a bi, tri, co-vocational person. And it's led you to the space that you're in now. And when you walked in, you said, I've got three jobs now. And tell us about that, because I was not stunned, but in some ways proud. Hmm. Oh, thanks for saying that. Uh, Yeah, so I... In the middle of all this mess, I suppose, as I was trying to figure out the way forward, uh, feeling very called to work in the neighborhood uh, and to continue to do that. We have a homeowners association that hires people, so I had been volunteering for five years and was hoping that they might have a little room in the budget to enable me to continue to do the things that I had been doing for free. Mm. And and they did. They brought me on part-time, so I'm getting a few... Uh, a little bit of income from that. And then the other, the main one, uh, stumbled across an initiative started in Edmonton, asset-based community development, uh, all about pairing with the neighboring movement that's happening across our globe. And uh, based off of the thought work of John Knight and Peter Block. And yeah, it's beautiful. I wrote a grant, uh, started an initiative to, to mimic the playbook that Edmonton had created and Edmonton that grant was approved. Howard Lawrence. Yeah, which correct. Is not, yeah. yeah. Which they have a, look it up, they have a very interesting, he's, to interrupt, Howard Lawrence was the catalyst for what uh, Parish Collective is today. Seriously? Yeah. I did not know that. Because uh, Paul and, and uh, company went up to Edmonton hmm. and were inspired. That's very cool. Yeah. And so now you're doing, so the grant that you wrote was for government money, provincial government money. Yes, correct. Yeah, and received that, uh, and they hired me just recently to your, do that work. Your neighborhood, so there's a homeowners association that yep. you're part of, and separate to that, there's a community association Correct. that you're a part of, and you wrote the grant for the community association, yep. and they hired you to do uh, asset-based community development. Correct, yeah. So that's one, two... And then and the, the last one, job is marketing. Yes. Yeah. So a neighbor, actually somebody I met in the volunteer world uh, and partnered with, she did our sponsorship for a season. Um, yeah. And I, we worked together and she runs her own little company and she brought me on to consult. So you have three different pokers in the fire. You don't have to leave the community. Uh, I met you halfway today because uh, getting you out of the community is so hard. <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> and uh, and here you are now. You're still deeply embedded in the community, um, and you have found new innovative ways to pay the bills. It hasn't been easy. Yeah, uh, you guys had to um, go a couple months without income, um, but it seems as though God's in the midst. Do you still feel that way? Absolutely. Yeah. Would you picture yourself now? let's say five years ago, would you have said in the place where you are today, uh, 
Yeah, I can picture that. Right. Five years? No. No, no way. Yeah, I would have, I would have dreamed of being more part of a, a movement. That would have been where I was dreaming at yeah. of, of uh, mission, proximate-based yeah. uh, expressions of the, of the gospel yeah. and, and getting to help lead that. That's yeah, yeah. where I would Un- have been dreaming. Unfolding movement. Yeah. So yeah. ironically then, to bring it full circle, the same formation that you grew up with and that you struggled with in youth also defines your picture <laughs> of success yeah. as a minister in this neighborhood yeah, parish piece. I suppose it did a bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, Evan, for sharing both triumphs and failures. There's a lot in your story for those who are going to be coming after you. Uh, and you're paving a path in many ways of what it looks like to live out incarnate presence in, in Canadian suburbs and also to figure out ways to live both faithfully but also get paid to do it. Uh, so there are options out there, certainly not always easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you would say that has it been worth it given the stories and people you've connected with in your neighborhood? Hands down. Absolutely. 100%. All right, that was Rohati and Evan Spencer uh, talking about uh, this new abundant community in in an interesting neighborhood in Calgary. Elle, any thoughts from you on what you just heard? Yeah, there's a lot, actually. I I made a lot of notes. Um, I thought this was a very helpful episode in the sense of it, 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 if you were catching it, hopefully, it was giving you some kind of practical steps and information uh, that I found really helpful. Um, Even ideas that he had back when he first started doing youth ministry of like kind of shifting the trajectory of their of their outreach to trips in their own city, mission trips in their own city instead of leaving. And what that happened, what happened to him and to his students when they were doing mission in the city. Yeah, I think that's that's a super important piece. We have to get sorted out in the Canadian context. A lot of the time when we think about missions, we think about it elsewhere. And uh, anytime Canadians start thinking uh, like a missionary here, to me, that is super duper an important shift uh, in our thinking. So it was, it was it, it's cool to 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 have stories where people are making those shifts and learning about those shifts. What, yeah, what absolutely. I really like is our stories of um, trying and, uh, you know, we're just in the middle of this one. We don't know where all this new stuff is going. So we'll have to follow up in a, in a year or two to see how mm-hmm. um, these uh, abundant, the, the abundant community approach to, to being a neighbor uh, works. That's a really exciting development in the Canadian context, by the way. If you haven't checked out abundant communities, uh, definitely look them up online. There's sort of a movement, if, I'm, if I've got my facts straight, I think they started in Edmonton. And um, some really thoughtful stuff on being a neighbor, on how to build, uh, uh, to, to, to be an integral part of a neighborhood, which is a skill that just seems to be lacking still in the church. We've got kind of a come and see kind of a mentality, and, and really we need to start turning back out uh, toward our neighbors and, and building things that are, are, are local. Um, that's why I'm excited about this podcast series, L, uh, on, on, on thinking in terms of neighborhoods. Any, anything you want to tell us about that? 
Yeah, I loved um, some of the things that they tried. And so that idea of taking a number of people, I think it was uh, four families on one street, three three on another, eventually down the road, moved into this neighborhood and, and tried to create a community organization and a church plant in suburbia. And I think one of the things we've mentioned, um, you know, I live in suburbia. Uh, yeah, there's so do really I. N- nothing sexy about where I, I live. And I always have these dreams <laughs> of living in some like walkable downtown, like brick and really awesome local coffee shops. Oh, that is just not my neighborhood. And mm-hmm. as much as I'd like it to be, it's not. And I love the idea that that is where they chose to move was into suburbia and mm-hmm. to try creating connections with their neighbors. Um, right in the middle of suburbia. So that's some of those practical takeaways that I I thought were really interesting about uh, this story. And if I had a a critique of some of the missional literature out there, it's around that stuff of um, if if we're going to be effective missionaries in Canada, if we're going to think like missionaries in Canada, uh, the methodologies we choose, the the ways in which we, we live out uh, this Christian life together, it has to re- be reflective of the place that we're in. And a lot of the missional literature uh, is is aimed exactly in that kind of neighborhood you just talked about. I can't afford to live there. Uh, I would I would join you. I, I like I like a walkable neighborhood, um, you know. Uh, but I live in the suburbs too. Do you know why? Not because it's my my dream destination. It's because that was the house that I could afford. And and mm-hmm. I'm like most Canadians. Most Canadians actually live in a neighborhood that looks like mine, rather than one of those cool uh, neighborhoods where you spend fifteen dollars on a donut and twenty five dollars on a cup of coffee. Um, it's you know it's a very Tim Hortons and McDonald's kind of existence, and it's not. I'm not right. saying that that is uh, this dream utopia for Canada either. There are lots of ways and reasons you would critique the suburbs, but uh, the reality is a majority of Canadians actually live in a neighborhood like that, or they live in a in a rural place. Um, increasingly, there's sort of an, uh, a more urban existence, but that has its own way of. So you have to. You have to think through how you're going to live in each of those three places and and tailor make what you do for the context. And uh, uh, so my friends who write missional literature, please also think about what it takes to do this in the suburbs and think about what this might take to, to do this in, in rural areas too. I think those are those are couple of encouragements I'd make to, to some content creators. And I was so grateful to have a story that's about um, living on mission in a, in a suburban context. It was so great. Yeah. I loved the things they highlighted about viewing their street as a mission field. Um, you know, taking your time, gifts, talents, energy, things like that, coming together as, as Christ followers in a location, in a place, and how tangible and noticeable of a difference it made in their community. And, and they saw that. And I think that's why they're continuing to work with this, especially Evan, who's spearheading this, this asset-based community development and this bivocational reality that he is, or tri-vocational reality, I think he mentioned, that he's now uh, trying to live into. So it'll be a an interesting story to follow, as you said, in a few years and see how that work is going because I think it's important stuff and I'm, I'm glad that we're able to highlight some of that um, as we kind of talk about neighborhoods and place-based um, mission work in Canada in these next few episodes. So Elle, if people want to uh, stay with the unfolding New Leaf story, 
uh, stay connected with with stories like like the one we just heard. How do they do it? Uh, you can keep in contact with us on our website, www.newleafnetwork.ca. Um, subscribe to the podcast to keep up with all the good stuff that we're trying to uh, put out there. Um, sign the up podcast for our, is called, L, what is it called? The New Leaf Project. Project, yes. Yeah. Not podcast. Yeah, not podcast. It's a, I think it's a gamer podcast, the New Leaf Podcast, I think. Uh, or something yes not something like that zero relationship to what we're talking zero about. relationship but it, hey a big shout out to our partners our friends <laughs> our name partners out there <laughs> at the right. new leaf podcast that's right yeah sign up for our newsletter too that's something that we send out we try not to spam you that often but we certainly want to keep you updated and of course check the social media feeds as well um, we've got an event coming up um, on June 1st, a uh, learning party in the St. Catharines area. We'd love to have you at that. Um, and lots of good stuff coming in the fall. So keep keep listening. We're, we've got lots of things coming up and we would love to be able to connect with you face-to-face. Yeah, there's a good chance we'll be in your neighborhood and we would love to meet you face-to-face and uh, 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 connect with you and hear what you're doing uh, in, in your context and how you're thinking like a missionary. Absolutely. Oh, and just wanted to mention for this podcast, we have um, some um, episode notes or show notes on the on our actual website. So we've got a link to some of those this abundant community uh, stuff that's happening in the Copperfield Mahogany area. So if you want to take a look at that, we'll make sure that we post those links for you so you can check out uh, abundant community. Yeah, there's some really great videos there. Uh, good descriptions. And uh, yeah. Well, L, thanks for uh, for bringing this to the table. Um, and I guess we'll see our friends, uh, the next time. Sounds good. All right. See you guys soon. Bye-bye.